0: So if there's anything I realized after last Sunday, I realized there's no way in the world we're going to get through all of this in any amount of time. You could spend a year on it. There's people that have kind of devoted their whole preaching careers to this. And the other thing I realized is I'm not going to cover probably all the topics you'd like me to, and I'm probably not going to cover them quite in the way that you'd like me to. I apologize for that. I'll do the best I can. But one of the things that I enjoyed over the last few days was the, was the conversations with some of you as I ran into you. Not just your responses, but the other things that you're interested in. And so thank you for that. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one. What in the world is going on in our world? I shared last week, and I really, I really meant this, and this is important to understand. It is not my place and it's not my intention to tell you how to think or what to believe my intention is to challenge your thinking and get you to ask why you believe what you believe and then encourage you always when, when we're trying to understand how to think and how to hear and how to respond and how to feel about the things that are going on in our world that we always point to Jesus that we always point to God's Word as our truth. And so there's three key points that I made last week, and I'll probably make them every Sunday as we do this. First of all, we need to make sure that we treat Scripture with the authority that Jesus treated Scripture. It is God's living Word. It is truthful and it is foundational. And it should be treated as nothing less. The second thing is, make sure that we work to love people the way that Jesus loves people. And the third thing is, we need to make sure that we work to be in God-honoring relationships the way Jesus sought to be in relationships with people. Our mission to love Jesus and to love people and to teach people to love Jesus, it's a very simple way of trying to keep us pointing to God, focused on Jesus, on God's Word, and healthy relationships that focus on Jesus. It it really is that simple. Love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. We can't do that outside of an understanding and sharing the Bible. So let's pick up where we left off last Sunday because it was kind of fun. The days that followed were sort of interesting. So my thought is either we we back up completely and and go forward cautiously uh, or not because that's not any fun, right? So last week I said we were going to get to a couple of different topics. One of them was what the book of Revelation talks about what seems to be one world government. And the fact is we're not going to get there today. And so that'll be what leads off next week. And so I'm going to start with the question that everybody is being challenged with today. Five years ago, this wasn't even a thing. But if you watch the news, if you read the newspaper, if you listen to podcasts, this is all over the place. doesn't even matter how old you are. The question is being pushed extra hard in our school systems, that's for sure. But the thing is, it's the big question, and so we're going to do a cannonball jump into the deep end of the pool. The thing is about big questions, and this is one of the biggest questions you're ever going to answer in your life. It's the right question. But what Satan does, and what people of the world so often do, is they take the right question and they twist it just a little bit so that we come up with the wrong answer. <coughs> or that we hear, there it went. Um, Can I get some water, even a half-consumed bottle of water, (coughs) Daydream? I got a half-consumed bottle of water. Thank you. Excuse me. What Satan so often does is he takes the right question and he frames it in such a way that it comes out the wrong way and that it isn't even the thing that it's supposed to be in the first place. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and now they're, now they're running. Go back to the Garden of Eden, and God tells Adam, You can have every tree and every fruit of every tree of the garden. This whole place is for you to live and to enjoy. But there's one tree in the center of the garden. Don't eat that fruit. And what does the serpent do? He comes to Eve and says, Did God really say? Right question phrase the wrong way that comes up with the wrong answer. And so I want to ask the question of you that everybody seems to be asking today. And some people are really being challenged to come up with an answer that maybe is completely the wrong answer in the wrong direction. Are you ready? Here's a question. You've heard it. How do you identify yourself? How do you identify If someone was to ask you, how do you identify? Who or what are you? Have you thought about what your answer is? Because that is the thing that the world is challenging, especially our young people with. And it's challenging them with to be dissatisfied. What is your identity? Your answer to that question will tell you everything about your priorities in life, your stance on all the hot issues of the world, where you place God in your life, how much do you really look to Him to lead and guide and direct your path, and a whole lot of other things. So I'm going to ask you, and don't say it out loud, how do you identify? If I was to ask you, what are you? What would be your answer? Go ahead in your mind, come up with the answer, what are you? See, if your answer is your name or what you're trying to be for other people or your profession, what you do for a living, maybe what political party you align with because that's a big one. Either you're on the side of the right or the side of the wrong. Or maybe it even is a question of your answer is your gender. What gender do you identify with? Wow, I am so set now. Lemon tea and honey. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Pause. Pause. that's hot see the world wants you to answer with what gender you identify as but if you answer with any of those things you're automatically setting yourself up to be divided against the people of the world who identify differently and that's the goal that satan's goal is to divide us to drive a wedge between us If you identify by your name or your job or your gender or your political party, you are setting yourself up to be divided against others and to be offended by anyone who has an idea that's different from your own because that identity is likely to change throughout your lifetime. Your job is likely to change. Your name may change. Where you go to church may change. What you're trying to be, what you do for a living, all of those things, your political party, all of those things may change. But if that's your identity, you start out being in trouble. But maybe you answered that your identity is I'm a Christian. Or my identity is that I'm a child of God. Maybe your identity is I'm a sinner saved by grace. If you answer any one of those things, that will never change. Because you will always be a child of God. If you accept Jesus as your Savior, you will always be a Christian. You will always be a sinner saved by grace. How do you understand your identity? Everything else that we look at at is so important. If we position ourselves first as a believer and our identity is who we are in God, then all the other stuff begins to fall in place automatically. See, if we have a self-understanding that begins with God, then we have an identity that Consistent with our Creator. I started last week and uh, I talked about in the beginning. The problem is that the people of our world and and the enemy of our God wants us to think in different terms. That that is not what the enemy wants us to think about. So the enemy, we start in the beginning, God created. The enemy wants us to think, no, he didn't. That's not what happened. There's a better answer for that. And, And so some people have gotten so lost because. We've lost the foundation of our true identity. Some people have given up their identity of children of God. And yet not one of us is here outside of the hand of God, the grace of God, and the creating power of God. Whether you believe in him or not, you do not exist on this earth outside of the grace of God. And yet I visit with so many people all the time who are convinced that they know more. They're smarter than God. They've learned beyond the Bible. That's an interesting book, but I found a better one. This guy wrote such and such. You know what? You give up that as your foundation and your identity, and that's a very slippery slope to the rest of the things the world wants you to believe. So we start in the beginning. The Latin language has a wonderful phrase that says, in the beginning, God created, right? And we're told that we're in the image of God In Latin, that phrase is imago dei. You are created, imago dei. You are created in the image of God. There is something of the incredible awesomeness, the holiness of God that is in each and every one of us. To be created in the image of God means that we're created with the ability to love. We're created with the ability to choose. We're created with the ability to discern and decide wisely. We're created with this thing in us to care for people to care for the planet, to be in relationships, to be in community, just like we're gathered here this morning, to be in relationships and community with other people. See, we know that's true because it says in the beginning God created man and woman because God decided it wasn't good for man to be alone. God created us not just to be in a relationship with him, but to be in a relationship with each other. And as we read the book of Genesis, God determined this is very good. This is very good creation. God created us to be in relationship with him in his image and with each other. And then God puts Adam and Eve into the garden. And he says, go ahead and be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy paradise. Enjoy this beautiful thing that I've given you. Just avoid that one tree. And so Adam and Eve began to do what has just become so common With all of us, they exercise their God-given right to choose and to make decisions, and immediately they take the freedom that God has given them, and they sin. Human sin caused a division, a break. And our relationship with God from the very beginning. In Genesis 3.8, it talks about how the man and woman, Adam and Eve, are in the garden in the cool of the day. And it says they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, which has to have been one of the most awesome sounds in all of history. And they hide. God comes to visit them. Why? God knows that they've sinned, but God wants to be in a relationship with them. So God comes to the garden and they're hiding. Why are they hiding? Because that's what people do. They hid because they knew they had sinned and nothing's changed from the moment that sin entered the world. We have been denying sin and justifying sin and excusing sin. And then worst of all, hiding from God because of our sin. What in the world is going on with our world? We're trying to replace the freedom God gives us and making the choices that we think are right for us from a foundation of God. We're seeing in the world the logical progression that happens with sin because it's become so powerful as people that as we have separated ourselves from God thinking that we're too smart, our sin has become so powerful we no longer just excuse our sin. We don't hide from God. And now we completely deny that there is a God. You don't have to go very far. You know people in your life who deny that there is even a God. And then we go one step further as a nation. We've gone all the way to making sin legal, legal. We make sin acceptable. We make sin into something that we call good. And the Bible even speaks to this. This doesn't surprise God. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Romans 124. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. They worshiped and served the creature. Do you know what it's saying? They worshiped and served themselves. They worshiped and served their own beliefs, their own desires, their own wants. They took the freedom that God gave them, and rather worshiping the Creator, they worship themselves. And so many people have their identities so wrapped up in themselves and what they want, not in God who lovingly created them and what God lovingly created us to be. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to its fullest. What's the fullest? That's being everything that God created you to be and God's will for you. When we focus on ourselves and we begin to worship ourselves... When we begin to worship the world and the things around us of this world, we fail to worship God who created us because we think we would be happier being something different than what we are, being someone else than the person that we are, that we're entitled to more. And that's the reason that the people of this world have put the question in front of us, how do you identify? Because if you can feel silly for identifying as a Christian they can make you feel silly for being a child of God, if they can make your kids feel like they aren't happy being who they are, that the problem is just one change away, then we erode that foundational identity of being children of God and being His creation. So then we jump into the what could be the hot point, or the foundation of a lot of the issues that are in our world today. If we give up our identity in God, then we begin to look for our identity somewhere else. But, you know, we're still created as people who want to be nice. We're people who want to care for people. And remember, we've got to start from this position of love for people, authority for Scripture, and a desire to seek godly relationships with people. See We say that because that's what Jesus did. Throughout his ministry, Jesus always loved people and cared for people. But those should not be two separate things. And in our world, we hear about social justice and we hear about the gospel. But in Jesus' life, those two things were one and the same. Taking care of and loving people and preaching the good news never were separated. They should work together as a follower of Jesus. They should work together for the the benefit of people and for the glory of God. We don't do those things on our own because we're good people. We do those because of what we know God has done for us. And yet even within the church, Satan has managed to divide social justice from issues that are outside of that and taking care of people, loving people, and sharing the gospel. See, where we run into trouble is that a large portion of people who will political power are not interested in the biblical understanding of social justice. They're, they're not interested in the equal treatment of people, but they know that those words can be twisted to get across an agenda. And so what we're seeing happen, and it's not new, but what we're seeing happen around the world in our country is something that's actually called egalitarianism. That's a big, fancy word, and it isn't a system that cares for people, but that's how it's presented. It's actually an economic system. It's a government system. Egalitarianism is a way of governing people through economics. And what it does is it levels everybody on the same financial basis through the redistribution of wealth. It's not a voluntary system. It's a force system. And if you're going, hey, wait a second, I know where he's going there, you're right. We also know it as socialism or communism, but in America, those aren't good words. But you've understood and you've heard about the redistribution of wealth. It's a big wealth. It's a big hot button. It's presented as a way of government caring for people. But like I said, the world is more concerned about control than about care. And so we've got to be able to look honestly at what does Scripture say about taking care of people and what role do we have as Christians and what role does the government have? See, the trouble with egalitarianism is that rather than encouraging and helping people who have resources to use those resources and help them create the means to care for other people. See, that's what they did in the early church of Acts. It said everyone gave to everyone as they had need. Everyone gave as they had to those who had need. They took care of everyone. doesn't mean that everybody sold everything. That's not what it means. It means that people who had more resources willingly shared those resources with people who had less. And everybody had everything that they needed. But what happens is when everyone is stripped of everything they had and have in terms of financial resources and property, then a small number of corrupt individuals lay claim to the majority of the wealth. And now everybody is in need of help. That's a government controlling system. It isn't a system of social justice or care. What ends up with is the promise that is made that everyone is going to have a better life isn't lived up to and those promises of financial equality fall on deaf ears because no one wants to listen. That was never the plan in the first place. But Scripture talks about this. The, the Bible is understanding and is clear. It speaks about the issue in Matthew twenty six eleven. Jesus himself says, the poor you will always have with you. But you'll not always have me. What do we focus on? We have to focus on Jesus and the time that we have with him. There's always going to be poor people. Doesn't mean we don't care for them. But if Jesus says they're always going to be there, they're always going to be there. That's a statement of fact. It doesn't take away our responsibility to love and to care for poor people. In the Old Testament book of Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, not fair, because we're all worried about being fair. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. All three of those things come from a godly perspective of the world, not the way that we want to turn it into something else. What does the Lord require? It's simple to understand. It's easy to understand. It's really hard to do. Caring for the poor has been one of the things that set the early Christian church so apart from every other group or religion or religion gathering of people in its day and it still should see in jesus day if you were a widow or an orphan if you didn't have family or spouse to take care of you you were on your own there was no network in this in the city or in the government there was no network to take care of you if you were an orphan or a widow you were on your own and life was difficult at best Matthew 25, 40 says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We are to take care of widows and orphans and everyone else who has need lovingly as Jesus would, as though we are doing it for Jesus. It doesn't say that you create a program from the government. It doesn't say that the government takes all of your money. It says that we as Christians are called to care for people out of our love for Jesus. Taking care of people is so central to the gospel that when Jesus was asked about what the greatest commandment was, it's in Matthew 22, starting in verse uh, 36, a Pharisee wants to trap him. He says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. Everything about you should be focused on God. This is the great and first commandment. And the second they asked him for one, he gave him two. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus surprised them with his answer. It wasn't what they expected. The question in the church forever then has always been, well, exactly who's my neighbor? We ask the question because we want to know what is the limit of the people that we're responsible for. Martin Luther at the beginning of the Reformation struggled with who is our neighbor. The question still gets asked by Christians because we want to know, do I really have to take care of them too? Or do I just have to worry about these people? Who is your neighbor? Whomever God has put near you at the moment. It might be that the people around you, you maybe know who they are and you go, yeah, great. I really like them, him or I like her. I love those kids. Yep, they're my neighbor. It might be that you don't even know someone. You think, well, they're not really my neighbor. They're just sitting next to me in church. Your neighbor is whomever you are near at the moment. Who should you be willing to help without selfish gain or public acknowledgement? Everyone. James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem, he wrote about this and he talked about how important it was. James one twenty seven, Religion, he says, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James rightly understood religion to be all about relationships. Religion isn't about the things that we have to do. Religion is about relationships that begin with our relationship with God through Jesus. not about following rules, not about living sinlessly, not about a long list of must-dos and must-not-dos, but about caring for people and caring for ourselves. I love the phrase, watch your own barber. But what happens is that we watch our own barber, and then we take a look at who else is, we can point our finger at and point out their sin or judge them for... For their circumstances and we say, well, that's love. I'm keeping an eye out for them. No, watch your bobber and love and care for people. It gets confused because we don't have a good understanding of social justice all the time. We get caught up in religion and the things that we think we have to do. Our family lived in another city years ago. Our girls were younger. And they were a part of a youth group and there was an older fellow that said, I want to take all the kids in the youth group down and and we're going to feed homeless people. There's a huge homeless population, all this wealth and tremendous homelessness. And they said, that'd be a great idea. So he said, we're going to take a couple of vans down, but when we get there, we're all going to gather because I need to talk to you all first. So they went to a a shelter that provided meals for the homeless and they got all the kids together. And the, the report came back from both of our daughters the same way. And basically he said this, don't talk to those people. Don't go anywhere with those people. Don't trust those people. All of them had a chance in their life and they all blew it. And so that's why they're here. We're here to feed them and go home. Don't trust them. Don't talk to them. That, friends, is religion. That's not the way Jesus taught us to love and care people, care for people. But I look at what our world calls social justice and it is so much like that. Because what it does is is puts everybody on this playing field that put some at the top and some at the bottom. That's religious obligation, not the love of Jesus. It it reminds me of the prayer of that self-righteous Pharisee in Luke 18. If you haven't read it, Luke 18, uh, 9-14. Basically, he prays, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men. And he goes on in the outlines the sinful wrongdoings of all these other people. But he's so convinced of his own goodness that he, he, he believes that he is a graduate of his own goodness and he's at a new and a different place. And I wonder how often do we do that? Do we look down on other people in judgment and say, well, God took mercy on me. I have, I have been given a special dose of grace. And now it's part of my job to look down on judgment in other people. That's called the spirit of religiousness. People flee from churches all the time because of the spirit of religiousness. That's not a spirit of God. It, it was alive in the Pharisees. In Jesus' day, and it's still alive in the Christian church today. But it's not of God. That's the way the enemy convinces us that we're special. That some people are different. See, when we give to and care for people because of what Jesus has done for us, it provides an opportunity, it provides an open door to share Jesus with them. To share the why we do what we do. Why we believe what we believe. We can address people's physical needs of hunger and clothing and shelter and at the same time share the love of Jesus and explain, that's why we care. We care because he loves me and he loves you. When you give something to somebody in need and tell them it's because Jesus loves them, that puts everybody on the same playing field. Taking everybody's money and property away and deciding who to give what, that doesn't put us on the level playing field. Seeing people... As no better or worse than us, and loving and caring for them, that puts us all on the same playing field. That's God's way. We've all received first from God, and now we get to share with others. And meeting people's needs and sharing the love of Jesus with them should go hand in hand and churches have this ongoing debate all the time and it's heartbreaking. Well, we're going to take care of their needs but we're not going to talk about Jesus. We're not going to bother them with the Bible. You can take care of the needs of today and ignore their eternity and do them no good except for the moment. Or you can take care of the needs of today, remind them of Jesus that Jesus loves them and tell them about the eternity that they can enjoy with him. That's social justice and the gospel going hand in hand the way Jesus showed it to us. We've got to be careful what we do in the name of Jesus because it might be that we're only doing things to justify our action like that guy that took the kids to feed the homeless. He felt great about it and believed what he was saying was absolutely true and he felt better about himself. Yep, people were given a meal and all of those kids were, to tell, were told to avoid them as though there was something wrong with those folks. That's not love. Love isn't doing what we want but being obedient to what God wants. Paul... Understood this. There was a young guy named Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor and a church planter, and he was, he was called to go in and to care for a couple of churches. And Paul was concerned about him that he understood people and understood the gospel, and that he, he managed both of them in a good way. And, and he was aware of how fickle people are, and how we'd rather be pleased and hear what we want rather than to be challenged and hear the truth. Because sometimes the truth of the gospel isn't easy. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off into myths. You don't need me to tell you that's already happening in America. If you have a preferred, I told you we're going to jump in with a cannonball, If you have a preferred news outlet, maybe it's CNN, maybe it's Fox News, you're choosing to listen to people who support your view of the world. You're choosing to listen to people who feed into your own narrative about what the world is about, what our country is, and what the politics are. If you're choosing to believe them, you're hearing one side of the story, and there's very little of the middle ground truth involved. And that's the kind of thing that we have to be careful for. See, the truth of of God lies in Scripture. And the lies of the devil lie in the world around us. It's easy to get frustrated and ask, what in the world is going on? But that doesn't help much. Maybe the better question to ask is, what am I doing to share Jesus with the people of this world? Will the end come? Absolutely. The Bible tells us that it will. Will Jesus return one day? Absolutely. The Bible tells us that he will. Will you be ready? Will you help others be ready for his return? See, that's what really matters. Is Jesus coming back? That's a fact. It's recorded in the book of Revelation. Yes, he is. Will you be ready for him, and will you help others be ready for his return? Will you care for people in their needs, and will you care for people in their eternity? That's what matters. That's the one thing we can do that has an eternal impact. That's why our mission statement is so simple. Love Jesus, love people, and teach people to love Jesus. To love Jesus and to love people is where it begins. And we add the Bible to that and we can begin to teach people to love Jesus. It makes this life different and better. And it makes the eternity something completely different than people who don't know him have. What's our call as Christians? is to care for the people of the world and to love them the way that Jesus did. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for... Challenging messages that challenge our thinking because it's so easy to believe that because we think something, we're in the right. Because we live for you and we want to honor you, that therefore everything we think is right. But God, sometimes your word challenges us to think deeper and more broadly than that. Sometimes we have to take a step back and realize maybe we are part of the problem of what's going on in our world. And God, we're, we're never going to be sinless. We're never going to be able to remove that log completely from our own eye. But God, through your Holy Spirit, through us taking time to study your word and to know who you are and to what you say, we can do better. We can get closer to you. And God, your heart certainly would be that we are in relationships with people around us and that those relationships cause us to care for them and to see them as people, not as people to be avoided, but people to be loved. God, help us to do that. Help us to get social justice and sharing the gospel right, that they go hand in hand, because that's what we saw in Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. challenge is, our world wants you to question your identity. They want you to question your relationship with God. Does God really love you? That's what the enemy wants. And and so if they can get you to change that thinking, you know, you can change your thinking, and, and your expression, and your appearance. What you can't change is the facts or the absolute truth. So for a Christian... The Bible is our absolute truth. That's where all of our our power and strength in this world come from. And that's why the world is so terrified of it. The world is terrified of the truth that we have in us. And that's the truth of Jesus through the Bible. Hang on to that truth. Pour yourself into that truth. Read and know that truth. Because your identity as a child of God. Your imago Dei is in that book. And you will never question anything else again.